page 962, if you're using a pew Bible. So I need you to find 1 Corinthians 16, very last chapter, and then turn right to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, just a few books over, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, and then Revelation 7. I'm going to read through those three pieces of scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Revelation chapter 7. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Let's begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they were devoted they have devoted themselves to service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writing to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve as I I did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And finally, Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 12. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne. And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. And let's take a moment to reflect together on God's Word.
One of my favorite things to do is to be a part of a team. One of the reasons I love the Lord of the Rings movie is because it's a journey, but it's not a journey of an individual, it's a journey of a team. How do these, this group of people, how do they accomplish more than they could possibly accomplish on their own? If you've been in my office, I have a lot of pictures in my office from my uh, 15 years in Young Life. And most of the pictures are pictures of teams. Teams of people that I had the honor of being a part of. And I think the thing I enjoy about being the pastor of Christ Community Church more than anything else is being on a team. Is being with the staff as much as I enjoy preaching or doing other things, it's feeling like, hey, I'm part of a team. I'm part of a group of people that are trying to to pull in the same direction. They're trying to do their part. They're also trying to help you to do your part. And as a team, our defeats are softened and our victories are sweeter because we did them together. When Sharon's father died, she texted me because I was part of her team. And she needs that team in a unique way right now. And so we all texted her back or called her back and said, hey, we just want you to know we're, we're on your team, whatever you need. And as you can imagine, if you're in charge of Vacation Bible School that starts tomorrow, uh, the challenge you might feel right at that particular moment, the need for a team Being on a team is also critical to the Christian life and for your spiritual development. It's not surprising that being a part of a team is actually a very important part of the biblical story. Let me give you some examples. Before the world was made, God existed, and you could say he existed as a team. The, The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When you and I get baptized, we get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we immediately become part of a team. When God made creation, the first thing he recognized that was not good was that Adam was alone. He understood that Adam needed to be a part of a team. He wanted Adam to feel that need himself, that Adam knew he needed to be a part of a team. So God created the first The first team in the Bible, the family. And every human being born after that is born into a team because everybody needs a team in order to mature. One of the most inspiring chapters in the whole Bible is 2 Samuel chapter 28. And you get to the end of this uh, great pair of books, 1 and 2 Samuel, and you've really read through the life of David. And at the very end, he mentions his team. 37 mighty men, it says. And it's an impressive team. It's like, you're like, I wish I had two of these people on my team. It's an awesome team. The wisdom literature informs us of the need of being a part of a team. Proverbs 15:22. Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, with a team, they succeed. Most of us are familiar with Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. 
But pity the man who falls down and doesn't have a team. No one can help him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can, can, can defend themselves. A cord of three or a team is not quickly broken. In the New Testament, we see the same emphasis. Jesus begins his ministry, and what is the very first thing he does? He builds a team. I need 12 guys around me to be a part of this team. I don't want to go on this journey by myself. And then when he sends them out on their own missionary journeys, he sends them out as a, as a team, two by two. And the local church is a team. When you join the church, you're joining a team. And this team is intended to be a, a miniature version of the final team. What a great passage in Revelation chapter 7. When you're finally on that final squad. When, when people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And you're all wearing the same jersey. You're all cheering for the same person who, who won a great victory. Even creation and, and, and spiritual beings are all part of this team together. And they're all shouting And praising God, I cannot wait to be a part of that team. And when you come to church, you're supposed to get like a little crack and see through and say, it's going to be something like that. I mean, this isn't perfect, but it's it's a little slice. It's a little representation of being on that final team. And so that all brings me to Paul's closing remarks here in 1 Corinthians and our final sermon. Paul, as we know, is a master theologian. He's an excellent teacher. He's a great writer. And you may look back over these chapters and you may think, well, the greatest chapter in 1 Corinthians has got to be 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, everybody knows that even if you're not in church very much. Or you may say, no, it's really 1 Corinthians 15. We talked about that and the resurrection and all that that means. And perhaps those were Great chapters for the Apostle Paul, but I suspect that Paul held a special place in his heart for chapter 16. It would be the chapter in your Bible reading plan that you would just kind of read through, like, oh, okay, list of people, blah, 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 skip, you know, like, got a checkbox for that square, but, you know, it's not really important. That's like neat for Paul, but we've gotten all the important stuff, and my guess is Paul would say, no, slow down. This is my team. These are the people that I I went through life with. These are the people that are on my journey. I I want you to know who these people are. These are critical people in my own spiritual development, in my own own journey. And this morning I want to focus on four people who are part of Paul's team. And I tried to put it together in a way that you might remember. He has a pupil. He has a peer. He has people who provide for him, and he has partners, a pupil, a peer, providers, and partners. And as we examine these four roles, what I want us to do is ask, do we have people like this on our team? And am I someone like this on someone else's team? Does that make sense? Because you're going to be playing both roles. You're going to need a team. And you're going to need to be a part of a team. And you might play one of these four roles, or, or there are more, but these four for this morning. 
And so let's look at those in order. First, the pupil. You see it here uh, in uh, chapter 10, verse 10. When Timothy comes, that's the pupil. See to it that you put him in ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him. One of the areas that the Apostle Paul excelled in was developing the next generation of Christian leaders. He's always got a pupil or several by his side, just like Jesus did, and he's always pouring into these people, trying to help them understand what they need to do, because he understands he's not going to be on the middle, in the middle of the stage very long, and pretty soon these people are coming in behind. And two of the people that Paul most heavily invests in are easy to remember, Timothy and Titus. Timothy and Titus. They both have books of the Bible with their name. And some of you might be familiar with this Titus 2 passage where Paul writes to Titus and he gives these instructions. Older men teach younger men to be self-controlled. So Titus, you're at a church in Crete and I need you to develop a team, a team of older men. And what are they going to do? They're going to have younger men. They're going to have their own sets of pupils, and they're going to need to teach these young men how to be self-controlled. And then older men, they're going to be a part, older women, they're going to be a part of the team, and they're going to teach younger women to be reverent in the way that they live. And so Paul always has this next generation of leaders in mind. He is assuming that most mature Christians have a pupil on their team. He's assuming that most mature Christians have a pupil on their team. Somebody that they're, they're pouring into. Somebody who's quickly going to take their place on the stage. Timothy. Timothy's one of these people. And we, see, we get to see how Paul pours into Timothy from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. This is Paul's last letter. He's writing to his friend who's now the pastor in the church of Ephesus. And we see, I want to just highlight a couple of ways that Paul is is, uh, helpful to Timothy. And first of all is he's encouraging. This whole, whole passage, three through seven, it's just a whole passage of encouragement. I've seen so many great things in you, Timothy. I'd like to highlight them for you. And just imagine how encouraging this was for for Timothy. Timothy doesn't have a spiritual father. That's why it's mentioned his mother and his grandmother. But he doesn't have some, he doesn't have a man who can pour into him. And so as a young man, he's dying for a man to recognize him, to, 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 to be encouraging. And so if you're a dad here, this is a critical role for you. I cannot emphasize the strength of this enough. Your words, small as they may be, are magnified in the heart and the mind of your child. And so are you doing these kinds of things? They're part of your team, like it or not. They're part of your team, and this is part of your role. So first, one of the things that he does is he constantly prays for Timothy. He says that, hey, Timothy, I want you to know I'm constantly praying for you. One commentary says this, it's interesting that more than teaching people, more than preaching to people, the one thing Paul reminds people that he's doing is praying for them. 
Is there a pupil on your team? Dad, is there a son or daughter in your team? You, you're praying for them, and you're telling them you're praying for them. Then he provides this personal observation. Timothy, when I think of you, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. I want to say it out loud. I want you to know I'm looking at you, and I'm noticing something great. And this word sincere is where we get the word hypocrite. And so Paul puts it together and says, I want you to know that I see that you're not a hypocrite. You're the real thing. Timothy, when you stand up in the pulpit, you're the real deal. I mean, just imagine how much encouragement that infused Timothy with. And Paul understood that. Here he is, his last letter. He's, he's walking off the stage. And here's Timothy. He's taking the pulpit. And he says, Timothy, you're the real deal. And the, the, the energy, the encouragement, the, 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 the help that offers Timothy, I, I can't even imagine how helpful that is at this point in Timothy's life. And then finally, he gives this exhortation, you have a gift. And, and I want you to fan it into flame. I don't want you to shrink back. Timothy, we, we've seen Timothy, he's easily afraid. He's timid Timothy. And so Paul's trying to say, I know you have a tendency to be afraid. Try to fan that gift into flame. And when we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Timothy is younger. In 2 Timothy, he's older. And Paul knows Timothy, this young person, he's coming to Corinth. In Corinth, it's a rowdy church. And they can make smart people feel like fools. And so he knows. Here comes Timothy. He's supposed to be teaching these people. And look what he says. He says, please put Timothy at ease. Imagine that. You're not easy to live with, he's saying. Can you try to put him into ease? Don't despise him. And I love what Paul is doing here. He's using his relational capital. He's, he's laying his relational capital down on behalf of Timothy. You see that? Paul is the elder statesman. He has, he has relational capital with the Corinthians. He knows Timothy's coming in. He doesn't have the same relational capital. So he calls back and says, hey, Timothy's going to come, and I want you to treat him like you would treat me. This happens all the time in our world. You, somebody asks you, you call a friend on behalf of somebody else. That's expending yourself for that person. And every great leader expends themselves for their team. Moms, you, you're expending yourself for your team. Dad, you're expending yourself for your team. If you have a pupil on your team, you're going to expend yourself for that person. Jesus did it for Paul. Paul's going to model that for Timothy because Timothy, he's going to have to do it now for somebody else. So it's critical that you have somebody like this on your team. So just a question of application. If you've been a follower of Christ for a number of years, do you have someone like Timothy on your team? It might, you might be a mentor. You might be a Sunday school teacher. You might be in our tutoring program. You might have a son or a daughter. You might have a niece or a nephew. You might have a neighbor, whoever it is. 
I mean, if you're a mature Christian, you've you got to have a Timothy. You've got to have somebody. It may be for a small period of time, maybe for a long period, but you've got to have somebody that you're pouring your life into. Second person here is Apollos. We see him in the next verse. And now concerning our brother Apollos. I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He'll come when he has opportunity. We know that Apollos was an extremely effective and powerful communicator for the gospel. Acts 18 says this, Apollos was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus He powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that he was Christ, that Christ was Jesus. And you might remember back from our very beginning of this sermon series that one of the main problems Paul was fighting in Corinthians was this idea of divisions. I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos. So he had come to Corinth. He's so powerful. Everybody's like, I just wish he would stay. He's the person we should all be following after him. And we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that Apollos and Paul were peers. Paul says this, what after all is Apollos? What after all is Paul? We are servants. We're just peers. We're preachers on the same team. We're peers through whom you came to believe. And you remember, I planted the seed and what did Apollos do? He watered, but all the growth came from God. So Paul and Apollos are on the same team. Now, you have to read maybe a little bit into this text here, but Paul wanted Apollos to go to Corinth, and they were probably both living in Ephesus at the time, and something like this happened. Paul and Apollos were together. Maybe they were doing ministry together. Maybe they were having lunch together. And Paul had gotten a report back to Corinth that, you know, things were disruptive in Corinth. And somebody needed to go back. I'm sending a group of people. Apollos, it would be awesome if you went. And what does Apollos say? Uh, No. Now, it's a small thing, but I don't think Paul got a lot of no's. Every person needs someone on their team who's a peer who can just say, thank you for asking, but no. The higher you get in the leadership, the harder it is to get that person. I don't know that there was any kind of argument. I think Apollos is just exercising his freedom. And if you're going to grow spiritually, if I'm going to grow and mature spiritually, you've got to have someone on your team who can say, Paul, no. So if you're a child here, you've got a couple of people on your team who can say that. But I'm just wondering if for the rest of us, you've got somebody on your team who's a peer, not a pupil, who can just say, hey, that's an idea, but we're not going to do that idea. You have somebody who can say no, and then do you listen to them, or would you rather fight back? So he has a a pupil, he has a peer, and then he has these providers. These are great names, Stephanus, Fortunatus, 
I don't know if anybody's pregnant here, but what a name. Fortunatus Phillips. That just had a great ring to it to me. And Achaicus, I think, is how you say his name. And I just want to circle two characteristics, two words, service and refreshment. Service and refreshment. Stephanus, his household, comes to this church, and what does it say? They devoted themselves to the service of the saints. This, this family comes into the church, and they, they say, we're going to devote ourselves to the service of the saints. And this word devoted, the King James translates it addicted. They were addicted to service. You couldn't stop them from serving. Hey, stop serving. I, we can't stop. Or sometimes it's appointed. So Stephanus, just imagine this guy coming into Christ Community Church and says, hey, I'm appointing myself to be everyone's servant. And I'm wondering if Stephanus got any pushback. If anyone said in the church, oh, man, I was just about to appoint myself to be everyone's servant. I can't believe he jumped in to serve ahead of me. Yeah, probably not. You see that, that, that impulse? Boy, you need somebody like that on your team. You need to be that on someone's team. You're not coming to be served. You're just coming to serve. You're, you're just appointing yourself to be a servant. And my guess is his self-appointment just turned the heads of these people in Corinth upside down. They're, they're power-hungry. They're popularity-driven. They want to make sure everybody notices them. And when you're in the servant role, very few people notice which is why Paul says, hey, if you want to subject yourself to somebody, make it Stephanus. It's so much easier, is it not, to serve someone who's trying to serve you rather than serve someone who's trying to boss you around. And he's saying, this is the kind of person you want to find yourself up under because they're trying to get up under you. But if you go after somebody who's bossing you around, well, that's, that's not much fun. To serve that kind of person. The second characteristic, love this word refreshment. Verse 18, they came and they were refreshing. It's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 18. Come to me all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you refreshment. Is the word rest. When these three, three guys come to Paul, his soul is refreshed. I just imagine a dying plant. And they walk in to water a soul. He feels safe with these three guys. What a, what a compliment. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you want this to be said about you? When he shows up, when she shows up, my soul gets well watered. They're refreshing to me. To my soul. This is going to be one of the, your favorite members of your team. You probably want to spend all your time around this person. And everybody has to have somebody like this on their team. And so I'm wondering if you have somebody like this, are you someone like this? Are you refreshing? Do you come to serve or to be served? Are you refreshing or are you draining? You walk in, it's like, ugh, energy out. 
Finally, we have this pair, this couple, married couple, Aquila and Prisca, or sometimes Priscilla, verse 19. Again, just I love how God does these things. He, he providentially brings two strangers together who become partners, partners in business and partners in the kingdom of God. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla had been kicked out of Rome because they were Christians. So they take their tent-making business and say, well, let's go to Corinth because it's an international hub, and we can probably sell a lot of tents down in Corinth. And so they, they pick up all of their business, and they move to Corinth, and they set up shop in Corinth. Paul, meanwhile, he's in Athens. He's getting driven out of Athens. And he decides he's going to go to, go to Corinth. And Paul's specialty, beyond being a great theologian, was he was a tent-maker. So when he, when he comes to town, he tries to find the tent-makers' guild. And say, hey, I can be a tent maker. I can make some money while I'm trying to plant this church. And of all the people he runs into, there's not even a church in Corinth. He doesn't know a single person in Corinth. He doesn't know that there's a single Christian in Corinth. But, but God's providence, these three tent makers come and set up shop in the same square. Isn't that amazing? God knew Paul needed a team. This was going to be a hard slug right here in Corinth. 18 months of very difficult ministry for Paul, and he's going to need some partners. He's going to need somebody on his team to say, hey, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to be with you through this whole thing. And I I just can't imagine how encouraging it was when they had that conversation about tent making. And Paul, however he did it, started talking about the gospel. And Aquila and Priscilla go, hey, we're Christians too. I mean, wow, awesome. How, how is that possible? Such a great, great meeting. And this happens all the time. It's happened for some of you right here. You came from some city or some place in the, in the county, and you wandered into this church a few years ago, and somebody else did. And now you're great friends with somebody. Just by God's providence drawing you in, and now you're, you're partners Aquila and Priscilla and Paul, as I said, they weather some very difficult storms. So difficult that the Lord has to come to Paul himself and say, you need to stay in the city. And then Acts 18, again, another verse that in your Bible reading you'd read right by. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed home for Syria, comma, Accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. I don't think that's a small verse for Paul. Hey, I just met these people. And they became my partners. Toy Story 3. If you haven't seen this series, you should. And the summer is a good time to see them. And in Toy Story 3, the toys that are all friends, they're all same, part of the same team. For different reasons, they get separated. And Woody, the main character, the cowboy, you remember him? He finally gets reunited with his other friends. And they're all like, Woody, Woody, and they're all gathering around. And the very first thing he says is, from now on, we stick together. And when Paul was leaving to go back home, Aquila and Priscilla came up to him and said, Hey, Paul, from now on, 
we stick together. You got somebody like that on your team? Are you like that on someone else's team? Just a few things to think about this Sunday afternoon. Is there a piece of your team missing? A pupil, a peer, a provider, a partner? Or do you need to be playing one of those roles on someone else's team? Do you appreciate your team that you're on? I mean, Paul's so appreciative of Timothy. Do you, do you look at your team and say, I, I love my team. I think they're awesome. I, I want to do whatever I can to be encouraging to them. I love the Christ Community Church staff team. I love them. I'd do anything I could for them. And I think they'd do anything they could for me. Most importantly, are you on... The Revelation chapter 17. This is how you get there. As Jesus comes and invades your heart and brings you to his team. Let's pray together. Lord, a lot of people here, many of them have friends and partners and peers and pupils and but probably for most of us, there's some, some voice missing from our team, and it, it's caused us not to really mature spiritually like we should. Or perhaps we, we've been given so much, but we haven't really considered how we're supposed to be doing some of these things for somebody else's life and part of their team. We're, we're not really pouring ourselves back. We're very spiritually mature, but we can't identify a Timothy. We're not really people who are refreshing. We're draining. We're, we really want people to serve us rather than to serve them. However it may work out, Lord, I pray that we would take a, account of where we are with you first. And then know that you've given us roles to play on teams for our spiritual growth, our maturity, our joy our safe journey home and would be would you make Christ Community Church a great team and a place where other people could find people to be on their team we pray these things in Jesus name amen